It doesn't take a nuclear scientist to realize that there are some situations where fear is a life-preserving emotion. Can you think of some moral situations where you should be afraid to make the wrong decision? This is Truth Encounter, and I believe that fear is getting a bad rap in our society. The old King James Version says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's turn in our Old Testaments to Deuteronomy chapter 22 and check up on some things that we need to be afraid to do. Dave Wurtson begins our study titled Purity and Protection with an illustration from his flight instruction on safe landings. As we were coming in, come in, man, it's at night. I'd already landed over and over again many, many times. I'd already flown ten and a half hours in this trip. And so, man, I'm feeling really good. I get the landing gear down. I start on the glide path. I get my flaps and everything. And Dale says, let me have it. Now, I'm thinking in my head, why should I let you have it? I said, you haven't, you haven't told me to let you have it on this whole trip hardly. Just one or two times. Why do I need to let you have it? So we're coming down and said, but I let him have it because I'm obedient. <laughs> and Dale hits me in the mouth if I'm not. So I take my hands off. We come in just like we always have, over and over again. We've landed there many, many times. We're coming in. I'm looking at it. It looks really, really good. Everything looks lined up perfectly. We're coming down the glide slope, and suddenly we touch down, and then we're not down. I mean, we touch down, we go up. We touch down, we go up. And I'm thinking, man, what in the world? This has never happened before. I mean, we're ballooning down the, down the thing. And I look over at Dale, and he's not panicking or anything. He'll probably tell me afterwards he was panicking. And I hate to do this to you, Dale, but it's such a great illustration. I just got to use it. Now, I want you to know that what I was thinking in my heart, when we ballooned up in the air, I said, get the landing gear up, give it all the power, let's get out of here, let's try it again. Dale's just sitting there. He doesn't, he doesn't get panicky, keeps everything straight, settle down. We get in the car, I said, Dale, what in the world was going on? He said, well, I haven't landed at night in a while, and this is a little bit new airplane, and I've got to talk to John and find out exactly how to work this, this night landing, but you just learned something really important, that in a landing like that, if you just hang on and don't panic and keep the plane straight, as your wheels begin to come in contact, it'll slow down and you'll be fine. Now, if I would have been landing on that night when we ballooned, it was a brand new experience, and I wouldn't have had the foggiest idea what to do, and I would not be speaking with you. <laughs> because I want to teach you, you see, in flying, one of the most important things to learn, and it's a lesson in life, you have to learn that there needs to be some things that you're afraid to do. There's sometimes when someone says, you cannot do this, don't do it. And you need to be afraid, you need to be afraid to not obey them. And it's a whole area of fear and respect that's missing from our society. You see, our society says in the sexual area, there's no fear. You don't need to worry about what you do before marriage. Young people don't need to worry about their relationships with the opposite sex. There needs to be no fear because this is the age of freedom. 
I want you to learn that you need to be afraid of some things that we're going to talk about. I want us to realize our society says, you know, if you, have a, if you have an adulterous affair, our society will say if a man does it, boys will be boys. If a girl does it, we say, oh, she was emotionally really held back and emotionally she just didn't have her needs met. And, and our society just kind of shrugs its shoulders. I want to contrast that with something else. Try cheating a little bit on a real estate deal in our culture. And man, you'll never hear the end of it. But in sexual matters, there's not a lot of fear. You need to really be afraid in our society about blowing your books, but don't be quite as afraid about blowing your sexual purity. How does God feel about that? We're going to read in the passage today several scenarios. What about lying? Our culture takes lying very lightly. I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 22 because we begin with a case of lying. We begin with a case where someone has come up with a story that's not true. It's a vicious story. It's a slanderous accusation. I can't believe that a man would ever do this, but he did, and the Lord gives a command about it. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 13, and we begin with the case of a man who gets married. They have the joyous wedding ceremony. In the, in the Israelite days, they would often celebrate for seven days straight. But evidently, this man, he took a wife in verse 13. If a man takes a wife, and after lying with her, after having sexual relationships with her and consummating the marriage, he dislikes her. The word that's used there is he hates her. You might remember in the story of Amnon and Tamar. Amnon and Tamar was Amnon's half-sister. And he fell in love with her. He was physically attracted to her. He really erotically wanted to relate to her. Remember, he pretended he was sick, and he had David, his father, send his half-sister to his bedchamber. And he had Tamar make this marvelous meal, and then he made Tamar come and pretended he was really sick, and he was moaning and groaning in the bed, and he made Tamar come really close to him and said, please, my sister, you know, feed me right from your hand. And... He grabs Tamar when she gets close and he forces Tamar to have sexual relations. In essence, he raped her. And then the text says that he hated her with a more powerful hatred than even with the lust that he had before he raped her. Same word is used here. So there's some kind of a tremendous swing. Evidently, this man got married just because of sexual reasons, not really knowing her very well, not really knowing her personality. At any rate... It says that he, after lying with her, disliked her. What did he do? How did he respond? He says, I want to get out of this marriage. I don't like what I've gotten into. What am I going to do? So he slanders her. Now, what is slander? Gossip is when you tell the truth to the wrong person. Everyone listen to me. Because gossip is one of the most powerful, deadly things among the people of God and among schools and among businesses and among towns. Gossip destroys intimacy and closeness and friendships. Gossip is when you tell the truth about someone, but it's a juicy morsel that you tell to the wrong person. That's gossip. Slander is when you tell a lie about someone that's not true to people. This husband is slandering. He's not telling the truth. He's slandering, and he's slandering his new wife. And he gives her a bad name. He gives her an evil name. You can just hear him going around, talking about, he married this woman, he thought she was morally pure, and he's making up this story. Look what he says. I married this woman, but when I approached her, I did not find proof of her virginity. Then the girl's father and mother shall bring proof that she was a virgin to the town elders at the gate. 
The girl's father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he hates her. He dislikes her. Now he has slandered her and said, I do not find your daughter to be a virgin, but here is the proof of my daughter's virginity. Then her parents shall display the cloth before the elders of the town, and the elders shall take the man, and they will punish him. The word that's used there is a word that was used for physical corporeal punishment. In other words, Josephus even says that a man that made this kind of a slanderous accusation against his wife would get the traditional 39 lashes that is often talked about. The Apostle Paul had that done to him. A man that lied about a situation like that would be whipped 39 times. So he was, a man who did this was punished by the elders and they shall take him and find him a hundred shekels of silver, that's twice the usual bride price, and they shall give them to the girl's father because this man has given, now listen to this phrase, has given an Israelite virgin a bad name. She shall continue to be his wife. He must not divorce her as long as she lives. Now, you've got to go back and think about so many things that are different in our own culture. For one thing, this whole paragraph that I've shared is centered around how important it was in ancient Israel for there to be virginity. And it's something that I want us to realize as a people of God. It's important for us to realize that God in heaven still wants both his sons and his daughters to be morally pure. The whole point of these couple paragraphs is wrestling with this issue of virginity. The man wants to slander his wife. He wants to get out of the marriage. He wants to be able to finish it. So he makes up a story. And I want you to notice that the story needed to be tried. In ancient Israel, they had elders. They had wise judges. Sometimes in ancient Israel, you had a woman. Deborah was one of these judges as the Old Testament develops. You have the wise woman of Tekoa. But every town would have a group of men, a group of elders, who people would bring difficult cases to. One of the things I want you to see is they didn't just let these things be resolved in families individually, but they had some men that could go and test it and figure out what was going on. You say, Dave, what in the world is going on here? If you've ever seen the film Yentl, you'll know exactly what's going on. You see, in our culture, a couple gets married, and we have the wedding ceremony, the bride walks down in her white dress, and, and then we have the pictures after the wedding, and then we have a reception, usually in another room, and there in that other room, we have cake, and we have punch, and we have coffee, and we have the white cake for the bride, and the brown cake for the groom, and, and on and on it goes, and then we throw rice all over them, and then they disappear, and they're gone. Now, all of us that are married know exactly what happens. Those that are not married are thinking all thoughts about what happened. In the Jewish culture, it was totally different because they're a lot more earthy people. You see, all of society talks about things, and in locker rooms they talk about things, but when we come to our formal, like church, and often at school and different places like that, we're not very much into life. But the Jewish people are not like that at all. In fact, in the film Yentl, remember the whole plot of the story is that Barbara Streisand is acting like she's a boy so she can go to Talmud training and go to school. And in her disguise, she has Hadasha Esther fall in love with her. And they go through this whole thing of they get married. They go through this whole Jewish ceremony. They say the vows and everything. But in a Jewish ceremony, you don't get in a limousine and just go. Or even back in the, the world of Europe, 
you didn't just jump in a carriage and disappear. You see, what they did in Jewish circles is you went to a room right there where everybody was, and they stood outside the door listening, not very private. Now, why did they do that? They were waiting. They were waiting. Like in the film Yentl, you remember, you know, man, they're not going to be able to consummate this marriage because Esther doesn't even know. She doesn't even have a person with the right equipment to do a blessed thing. But they've got to do something. They've got a big problem. Because in Jewish circles, you've got to take some cloth and you've got to be able to prove that there's a stain on that cloth because that proves that the woman that you married was a virgin and you had to throw that out to the people. They're kind of gruesome. And they would all rejoice. Now, one of the things I want to get across to you is the fact that, you see, we have lost the joy and the purity and the holiness. This was not dirty, evil people. These were people that were rejoicing in the gift of sexuality, people that were rejoicing about families, people that were saying we rejoice because now another one of our beautiful young women and our handsome young men will now carry on the promised people of God and it's going to be done when babies are generated. There will be a mommy and a daddy that are going to be there and it's all been done under the blessing of Yahweh. That's what they were rejoicing in. And that's what this text is about. You see, this husband is saying, my wife was not a virgin. They bring the case before the elders. And it says in the text that I just read that the mom and dad who would have this garment laid the garment out before the elders. And they say, yes, she was. And they had objective proof. It's still true in some Bedouin cultures. Now, we need to understand that that's not an absolute proof. Uh, like, if there isn't that that it's not an absolute proof that the girl had been promiscuous and had been immoral. And I'm sure that in light of the Deuteronomic law, there was careful investigation. But when there was this proof, then the parents had a hands-down case. And the very first thing I want every one of you to be scared of, I want you to be afraid to disobey God's commands, thou shalt not slander. Thou shalt not lie. If you're in high school and you're in a relationship and then the relationship goes sour and your relationship breaks up, what happens? Often there's lies, are they not? And things go all over the school. In fact, some of the kids might have even experienced it. Somebody will make up a story and say, boy, that's an easy one. That girl's an easy target. Or that guy, you ought to know what he did. And it goes all over the school. If that's a lie, that's slander. And God says, I hate that. You need to be afraid to lie like that. And I want to just burn it into my own soul. I want to burn it into your soul. You need to be afraid to do what this husband did. Because a lie like that can ruin a reputation. It can ruin someone's life. In our own society, it happens just all the time. A report goes over the news. Such and such and such a thing has happened. It goes nationally. And all of us think, then a few weeks later, we find out, oh, it wasn't true. But all of us in the back of our mind are saying, it really was true, man. That person really did do that, don't we? You see how slander just, you can never quite get away from it. You can never quite shake free. And that's why God, among his Old Testament people, said, no. And if a man lies like that, if a man lies like that, he was severely disciplined. You say, well, Dave, why in the world did they make him pay all that money and then he, he had him stay married to the guy? I'm sure, like, I asked the question, Lord, 
if, if I was that woman, who would ever want to be married to someone that slandered me like that? Well, you've got to understand the Old Testament culture too. Like a woman that was, that was impregnated possibly, that was going to have a child, would need physical sustenance, would need a home. The pressure of the people would be, I mean, after disciplining this guy, they would work with this guy. There's also in the Deuteronomic law, do you know that when people make bad mistakes, sometimes when they're really strongly disciplined, they can change. Can any of you tell stories like that? Have any of you made some really, really bad mistakes and you got caught and you were severely disciplined for it, but then over time you turned away and you became a different person? God's law is wrestling with all of that. And I want you to see that in old Israel, there was such a strong commitment to this marriage vow. They, they didn't just say, well, just end the marriage. God said, no, you're locked in. The guy wanted to get out. He wanted to end the marriage. He made up a story to get out of it. And God says, no, you've got a responsibility. You made a promise. You're going to be severely disciplined for your slander, but you're going to hang in there and you're going to work it out. Now, the next instance and the next paragraph changes gears a little bit. And this time, the husband's charge is true. Look at verse 20. If, however, the charge is true, and no proof of the girl's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door, I want you to notice, of her father's house. And there the man of her town shall stone her to death. She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. I want you to notice a few things. First of all, the father is held responsible for what is done in his house. I want every one of you daddies to realize, you daddies hold the moral key to your home. And you need to all take that to heart because one of the things that Satan's going to really work on you about, Satan's going to work like crazy to get you to not be strong morally, to get you to be shaky on this. Some of you guys... Your little girls are beautiful little girls and you swing them on the swings and you get on the teeter-totter with them and, and you take them to the beach and everything else. And man, you know, they grow up, but to you, they're always, always little girls. You never realize when they hit puberty that they suddenly grow about four feet, they suddenly become a woman, their whole body shape changes, and to other people in the society, they are not bouncing little baby girls anymore. They're not your loving little daughter anymore. They are now a woman moving towards adulthood. And some of you daddies never realize that. And you never put any protection. And this text is saying that the, that the father is responsible. That's why the woman was stoned at the father's house, because she had done a disrepute to her dad. In our own society now, we've come a long way from that. In fact, in our own society now, a woman can be promiscuous, she can get involved, and she doesn't even tell her parents. Nobody ever finds out. You just get married. You just pretend that everything is fine, unless, but then the baby comes six and a half months but the baby weighs nine pounds, very big, premature baby. <laughs> and want you to understand something, we're going to find at the end of the chapter that God can be forgiving, but I want you to see there's some things you need to be afraid of. And the girls that are little girls, now, over the last several years, I've been able to marry some of the couples that have been raised in our church. And I want to tell you just how much you young men and women some of you are right here in this room. 
Some of you made some really hard choices coming up. And I want you to know from the depths of my being, you have encouraged Mary and I in incredible ways because of the purity of your life. And on your wedding night, you were virgins. And you hadn't experimented. And you lived that kind of a life. You made that kind of a choice. And I just want every one of you kids that made those choices that are now moving in to adulthood, thanks. It was worth it. And you're creating a foundation for a family that will pass on from one generation to the next. God can forgive the mistake. And his blood can cleanse the worst sin, and all of us have sinned. But God's grace should never dull the sensitivity of our hearts and cause us to realize how precious it is. And I know that it's hard. I know that, that teachers at school sometimes, sometimes advice from friends is saying it's no big deal. God is saying, yes, it is. In old Israel, if a girl was promiscuous in her house, if she was sexually active before she, her married night, it was serious business. In our culture, it's lightweight business. But our culture is not working very well. Homes are dissolving more than 50%. Venereal diseases are becoming rampant. We're not even talking about the emotional travesty and devastation that comes when there's not faithfulness. The threat of AIDS, it goes on and on and on. We need to wake up and realize it is not working the way it's going right now. And that's why God, you say, why did God call for such a terrible punishment? Because of what I started out with. There's some things that you need to be afraid not to do. There needs to be some things that you need to be petrified. And one of the things that I had, Mary showed me over and over, told me over and over again, Dave, one of the things that kept me morally pure for you, that kept me from doing wrong, was she was scared of this man right here. She said, I knew my dad would kill me. He would tan my hide. How many of you were raised like that a little bit? A whole lot of you from the old school. That's good. That's a good holy fear. Just like when Dale says, you can't land, baby. And I'm sitting there, oh, yes, I can. You'll crash. And there needs to be an instructor in life that says, no, you're not going to do it. You respect what I say. That is, you be that instructor. Teach your kids how to fly. This text is very open about sexual matters. I hope it frees some of you, mom and dad. I know some of you can say, Dave, how in the world are we, can we study that on a Sunday morning? We have got to study what God's Word says. And I want you to know from the depths of my heart, going through Deuteronomy has not been an easy assignment. But I want you to know that I believe that God's people are destroyed when we don't listen to every word of the counsel of God. God is saying, don't slander. Be scared to tell a lie about someone. Second of all, be afraid to be promiscuous, to be immoral. I appreciate Dave's willingness to open up a text like this and to talk straight to us as parents and to young people. Dads, I hope that you especially will pray that God will help you develop in your kids a holy fear of turning away from God's moral laws and an intense love for God that yields the full enjoyment of life. Dave will be picking up from this point next time 
So invite some of your friends to tune in to this straight talk from Deuteronomy on purity and protection. We need to encourage our kids who are seeking to honor the Lord in their sex life. And we need to remind those who have slipped that Jesus is willing to forgive and able to give them power to obey his commands from the inside out.